The Football Show on Off The Ball With Sky Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, EFL, Scottish Premiership and much more Live on Sky Sports I'm prepared to end it and I can't well, do, it then. do it then What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> Why should there be an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Why should he? <laughs> well then, Football Show very happy to say, Dan McDonald, the Irish Independent, back in studio. Dan, I haven't seen you since two days ago. Hello. Sunday, it's been, I mean, what? This, this is just a, it's either a feast or a famine, isn't it? One of the great paper rounds, people said. Paper rounds? I, I know you should take them to calling it the paper round. Right. Paper round, yeah, you've, we spoke about it off air and you made a reference to the paper round. I was like... I know why that is. Go on. So when I was in college... It's a long time ago. Increasingly so. My first ever role of any kind in radio was on Liffey Sound FM which was the community radio station in Lucan. Okay. So community radio stations are what they do when they say, say in the tin. They're for the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker. Anyone in the community. In the show. Anybody in the community wants to present effectively the doors open. Come on in. They're wonderful things. Like yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Great you know? opportunity. Yeah. And so I was in college and I, I, I rocked up and said is there anything? Because I was still doing radio and television production after doing English and history and they said oh there's a show Friday evenings at like 8 o'clock called The Paper End ah. where you chat through the local papers with the local journalist I was hoping that story would, would end with you instead <laughs> just being told to go out and deliver no. the local papers instead oh man the Gazette God, that'd bring a tear to my eye now yeah wouldn't like to hear it back I can imagine <laughs> So, but who do you review it with? Sorry, who'd be your guests? It was with a local journalist. Oh, okay. Yeah. Of the Liffey Champion newspaper. Yeah, yeah. So we would chat through all the stories, you know. Not, listen, I'd say it was good content. Asbo for teen for stealing bike. Yeah, I mean, I that suppose kind of it's, it's more so the material you might occasionally be working with could be more problematic. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I, I, like, you know, I see there was an awards presentation in the school the other day, you know. Yeah. But I don't know, there's more news in the Dublin local papers, maybe. Yeah. But anyway, oh yeah, but I mean that's I mean that's a long time ago. I mean, oh seven, it would have been. Have you been saying the paper round for years? Then? No, I don't know why that crept back in. Paper review with Dan McDonald, Dion Fanning. Much love for it, Dan. You were, I mean, I thought you were outstanding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a seven out of ten, I think. Joe. <laughs> seven out of ten, like Dennis Irwin, you know. Well, I mean, was any man more certain of being in Roy Keane's team than Dennis Irwin? Genuinely, nah. No, well, I mean, but it's only right like that he is. He should Say be. Ronaldo all, was looking over his should, shoulder should, more than Dennis Irwin. He should be in all the great Premier League teams. He still gets overlooked for uh, the, the, your uh, your more fashionable Ashley Coles. And well, I wish Roy had stopped saying, you know, he's from Cork as the opener, as yeah. the headline. No, oh, no. Can we can we start with the fact he was an unbelievable, unbelievable player? Footballer. Yeah, I listen from Cork. Just, it was my roommate. That's like, a, that, yeah, he that's made how it Gary Pallister like, got in. He made it sound like it was it was a parochial call and people who. You know, large degree of the audience now, not a large degree of the audience, but certainly a significant portion yeah. of the under 30s will have never watched Dennis Aaron play and it won't be as familiar with him because he's not like a high profile pundit, but not realizing he was. I mean, I, I genuinely think he he was the outstanding Premier League fullback just because he agree. wasn't a, a unbelievably quick uh, or unbelievably English. You know, that, that'd be David two of the issues he would have faced. He was quick enough. No, he was, but you know what I mean? He's not like sort of, uh, I don't know, to, to be a Premier League fullback now. It's interesting, Keane was speaking about, you know, that in the game today, 
how effective Erwin would be but you do wonder in the game today would he end up even almost in different positions at times you know like, yeah. just because of how sure he is and um, sometimes they think that the fullbacks have to be like amazingly fast got, like Kyle Walker speed but like he played I mean you know with Erwin playing the right of a back three and or the left of a back three in certain teams now I know I think they tried it with Ireland didn't they for a while that didn't exactly Do you know what work. strikes me when you watch old games now involving Dennis Irwin is that uh, particularly to our 2022 version of football eyes nobody has any respect for possession the ball is just mm. pinging around Dennis Irwin is immaculate yeah never gives it away he is immaculate he's such a good player yeah he's so underrated I know like he's I mean he is criminally underrated and like you you can definitely be accused of sort of green tinted glasses with it um, but but actually no like this the his appearance records and sort of stats bear it all out you know and actually even in the Irish discussion of great Irish players he doesn't always feature because he didn't necessarily have a, like a, a terrific international career he was just too late for Italian 90 um, but yet would be one of the best Irish players of the 90s he went to the World Cup in 94 maybe struggled with the heat and got dropped during that tournament amazingly like you know I remember being a raging over Terry Phelan and Gary Kelly being selected for that game against Holland mm-hmm. um, Dennis Irwin was benched you know so he didn't have that he had that free kick against was it Belgium in 97 yeah. in the playoff yeah. um, but I think at one stage didn't Mick McCarthy tell him to prove himself or something which was the the, the famous line when Mick was just going through his sort of uh, his growing pains in the gig if you're tuning in and thinking what are we talking about uh, Roy Keane last night on Sky was bullied into picking his all time Premier League Manchester United 11 so Irwin got the nod uh, Schmeichel in goal Gary Neville got the nod at right back Pallister in with Stam uh, Beckham Ince in centre midfield Ince over Scholes mm. Brian Robson was in there Giggs was in there and Rooney Ronaldo in there as well 54 minutes on the clock very interesting situation has developed in Villarreal so they are 2-0 up against Liverpool it is 2-2 in aggregate really from minute one it was a very very different Villarreal to the one we saw at Anfield they played fast football on the front foot and they scored after three minutes Boule Dia uh, with the goal there was a touch of luck about it the initial effort was an effort and goal instead it was screwed back to Dia who passed it into an empty net and then in 41 minutes Francis Coughlin with a header he got above Trent Alexander-Arnold to make a 2-0 on the night 2-2 on aggregate uh, like I said VRL playing so much better than at Anfield and we are now going to be spending a touch more of the evening talking about this game than yeah, I think we'd anticipated I mean earlier today I was genuinely contemplating watching Bournemouth and Forest instead you know which is the I mean a huge game in the championship tonight second v third Forest with a chance to sort of move level with Bournemouth and Bournemouth won that by the way so they're, they're basically they are now promoted to the Premier League but that felt like that's the game that's going to have suspense and drama if that's what you want this won't have it but this has been compelling from the start I mean from the first minute there was a sense of this is going to be different and I suppose um, I mean Emery, Emery does have an amazing two-legged cup tie record so I mean I think um, but it's almost like you know like last week was almost some elaborate ploy you know <laughs> like it's sort of um, they've, they, they've lulled Liverpool into the most dangerous sort of false sense of security I mean clearly that wasn't the case but I mean it, there, was, there was a sense of you know they're just they were just going to take it back however they could to um, the second leg alive and I suppose 
maybe they just always and Emery said it in his comments there was always a confidence that it was going to be intense for Liverpool it was going to be difficult for Liverpool and maybe two goals for them okay we can deal with that it's the classic we score early and it changes the game or it changes the mood of the place and Liverpool needed half time there was no luck about that half time scoreline I know there was luck in the in the chance for the first goal but I mean there was a uh, at another point Lo went through in a one on one it was actually a very good goalkeeping from Alisson but other referees might have sort of sent you know sent for a penalty you know would have pointed for a penalty so there was like a two on one situation there there was one or two other times where Liverpool really uh, flirted with disaster they just weren't at it at all the two full backs were definitely targeted on uh, crosses and even on balls forward uh, Kate had a few difficult moments um, and it's just one of those where you, sometimes with these ties the, uh, the advantage of being at home in the second leg is just the purity the mood can take a stadium and like the, the whole point I was just thinking when it was come to, coming in was like and this is another great thing that UEFA are looking to kill but they are looking to kill the two-legged semi-finals and replace them with this week of football where you'd have the semi-finals and final in the same place and I, well I understand the thinking behind it um, being UEFA it's not going to be guided by sort of football uh, football logic it'll be by corporate hospitality potential you know, there's not much corporate hospitality business in Villarreal, Liverpool semi-final for UEFA. But what that you what you would take away from it is these stadiums where everything, you know, where it's it's the biggest game you can have in a in a club stadium. Other than you maybe get a league decider at the end of a season by complete coincidence between two teams that are going for the league. You know, beyond that, this is as good as it gets in terms of partisan games. Um, I don't know why you would kill that, but I mean. Cash is king and all. I don't want to say Liverpool were complacent this evening, but they really weren't quite themselves in a whole host of ways. Villarreal started very well and had scored within three minutes, but even across those three minutes, there was just an intensity about Villarreal that wasn't evident in Liverpool. And Liverpool's passing has been off. They've made silly decisions. There was a moment where Van Dijk just gave away such a sloppy free when it was so obvious that was what the Villarreal player was looking for and had very few other options. There was one where Mane put the ball out of play and Klopp was shouting on to him and so there's like a tetchiness and a frustration amongst Liverpool players and management because they realised really were not playing very well this evening I suspect they've been in this position so many times where they've almost pretty much killed off a tie in the first leg and they just probably thought well we're playing so well it's going to be okay and you have to go out and do it and they left Henderson on the bench Diaz on the bench mm. all of these things send just messages a of a sort message, yeah. as uh, opposed to this is a Champions League semi-final so, this is going to be the most difficult game of our season they didn't play like a team who were walking out of the tunnel with that in their minds no. and it's very understandable it's it, it's almost not even a criticism of them no I mean they've stepped it up now since yeah. you know since half time they're, they're, they're now suddenly like it was one of those ones where the old cliche about like they needed to whistle was so right because you know they it wasn't getting any better for them near in the end of the first half in fact like 15 more minutes you wouldn't have ruled out Villarreal scoring again uh, but they've, it's given them a chance to regroup but also probably for Villarreal too they were chasing 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 and now they're probably in this position of thinking okay you know will we take penalties now oh we definitely would you know and that sort of leaves them in an awkward place but I mean, I'd say Villarreal as well they've probably been not that they need to rely on old school sort of motivation but some of the comments about them over the last week I mean if, if someone was doing their work you know putting a compilation together of some of the 
the commentary in the UK, you know, in particular. And I know, I know some of it is just talk sport stuff, but I mean, they're a disgrace. They shouldn't be in this competition. Like, they're in the semi final. You don't win a you don't win a lottery to get to the semi final. Like, you're you're still decent, you know. And there was probably disparaging stuff there that flipped the other way around and said about Liverpool. Say, would have fired people mm. up and and been used. And I'm very out of have derived energy from somewhere. No, Cantona asked somebody of Keane's team. No. Killed no. him to leave Cantona out and, and Van Nistelrooy. Van Nistelrooy yeah. He couldn't leave Rooney and Ronaldo out. I mean, the two big surprises are Ince and Pallister. Yeah, I think the... Um, I think he's spoken about Ince before. Um, maybe not as much Pallister, although he, he generally tends to get mentioned in his, you know, in his in his thing on here. It's great characters in Manchester United and he's dropped into the mix, but not necessarily about the player. It's more about, like, the personality, if you know what I mean, and like Gary Palliser definitely is one that when you think about it, he be like he barely had an England career, even you know, um, just because of other players that were around at the time, I suppose, like Tony Adams and um, what in the sort of you know, got the early 90s, mid 90s, what Mark Wright and a few others like that would have been, you know, Des Walker, a few others. I don't know, I'm trying to think who would have been directly ahead of Palliser. I mean, Steve Bruce didn't either, to be fair. No. You know, so it was a different time, you know, and you could definitely argue um, that, you know, that Manchester United team didn't, uh, was struggling to crack Europe at that stage. And really, would their level be equivalent to a modern Premier League superstar? Yeah. Keen cultural team you could debate it. the keen criteria here was fairly fluid yes. like this was not the most <laughs> scientific uh, teams picked I mean it's fairly evident to most people Rio Ferdinand was better than Gary Pallister but Keane was saying look it's my team Pallister really helped me out when I joined Man United yeah, exactly. these kind of things were being said this isn't a gospel this isn't like a, no. you know, the team of the millennium or something that the, you know, the GEA did at I, one stage it's I, just Roy Keane almost on sufferance being asked to do this I've no doubt Ince gets a few bonus points for falling out with Ferguson oh absolutely there's that as well that's probably one of the criteria <laughs> if for some reason uh, if for some reason Keane decided that even though he was doing it he actually devised his own uh, sort of PR voting system for yeah. himself where it was like you know ability you know good character you know, represented themselves well on nights out. You know, round with Ferguson, round with Keane. Like, Schmeichel was so good he managed to get in, even though he wasn't able to do all of that. Go Liverpool. There we go. 62 minutes on the clock. It's a goal I think the keeper should have saved. I think it was Fabinho. Was Fabinho playing this evening? Yes, he is. Yeah, it was Fabinho. So it's right-hand side. It's not a guilt-edged chance by any means. He doesn't have an amazing angle. He just gets the shot away and it seems to somehow scuttle under the goalkeeper. So it's an ugly goal that Liverpool will more than take. We're getting a replay now. We're seeing Fabinho here. It's down the right-hand side. Salah gets the ball, sort of half miscontrols it and just stabs the ball to Fabinho. It's a very tight angle. It's not even an angle you would say you should shoot from and the goalkeeper has just made a mess of it, frankly. In fact, Fabinho's looking across the area. Initially, he wasn't going to shoot. And then he let the ball go so far across him that he didn't have the angle for the cross anymore. And so he thought, sod this, I'll hit it towards goal. And it's gone through the keeper's legs and it really shouldn't have. That's a gift. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that goal reflects is the slight pattern of the last few minutes of Villarreal just dropping deeper. And this is why they shouldn't even be in the country. <laughs> allowing themselves to get into a position where you know Fabinho can, Fabinho can sort of ghost into the area and have a shot, you know. Um 
I mean, yeah, it'll, it, what, we, what we'll see now, you know, can Villarreal somehow switch back into that chasing mode again? Or have Liverpool now, have they had their, their 45 minutes of a sort of a slumber and are they going to sort of not let them go now, you know? Um, I think the atmosphere is such that Villarreal are still in this game because it is an extraordinary atmosphere there. There's a text in for you, Dan. Oh, lovely. Oh, there's a card out. It's only a yellow one, though. Go on. No away goals rule keeps this game interesting. Again, have you changed your mind yet, Dan? Are you anti the away goal rule um, situation? Yeah, I, I am at the early. I think I, I can understand maybe you have to probably have a one size fits all solution for it. Um, I think in the earlier rounds of the competition, the no away goals rule makes it harder for underdogs, you know, and it gave them something to hold on when they're away from home, 3 0 down or something to a team from a superpower and you can get a goal back and then suddenly a 2 0 win and your place gets you through. Yeah. Um, I can see why in the, at the semi-final stage of the competition I mean the Man City Real Madrid game are you really thinking the away goals rule you know you're not, it's not even on your mind mm. you know but um, would the away goal all I would say is would the away goals rule if it existed encourage Villarreal to be more attacking last week and like, it would have been a different tie no doubt they wouldn't have gone they would have had to show a little bit more ambition knowing that maybe if they could get that away goal it would yeah. give them something to protect so it's one of those yeah maybe it's not an outrage it's gone I still would have kept it on kept it on balance but mm. I reckon it's one of those that no one will be talking about in a couple of years either I want to touch on a few things with you before time comes against us so Adam Pope's going to be with us to chat some leads who are in uh, dire straits lost obviously to Manchester City yeah. Manchester United played last night glory glory Man United blasted out after full time to drown out any uh, booing or a uh, sense of protest. There had been a planned protest on 73 minutes, as in 17 years of the Glazers, we walk out with 17 minutes to right. go. And it was anticipated that this would be sizable enough and it wasn't at all. Yeah. Was that because they were winning 3 0, or is that because Maybe most was, fans think, ugh, I, like, mean, whatever. They were I don't the manager, know. You know? Yeah, so some did get up and they were like applauded as they walked out by others who were staying it was like fair play to you for going yeah. <laughs> I'm going to stay do you reckon one or two people went in and just wanted to beat the traffic and just said I'll, I'll go along and do this <laughs> take the credit vote. Yeah. It's like it's, it could be one of those people who leave early every week and they're like well finally you know, this is our one chance to do this uh, without judgement there were stories about how Manchester United were going to face the wrath of the fans by embarking on a lap of honour which they did and they just got applauded in lukewarm terms around the pitch so it wasn't any well, it was great a few, issue it was tourists there as well yeah and probably just, you know whatever Roy Keane before picking his uh, team described it as a lot of hugging and kissing going on tonight was his sense of the whole occasion it was like a testimonial for some of those players out there the managers of the world I'll tell you who didn't get a testimonial Jesse Lingard no. I'll tell you who wasn't happy about that Jesse Lingard's brother oh so Jesse Lingard's That's brother this, I have to admit not impressed that Jesse didn't get on for a farewell of sorts 20 years of blood, sweat and tears, four domestic trophies, three cup final goals, not even a farewell. No wonder it's Conference League next year. <laughs> As if the two are related. Yeah. yeah. Class of 92. Oh, he wasn't finished there. Class of 92, Busby Babes, you're now run by people who don't even know the offside trap. Oof. Classless. And the fans need to realise. Been there since he was nine years of age. Didn't even get a send off. Well done, bro. Your family are proud. I don't know, do you technically get a testimonial unless you've had 10 years at senior level? I think he means he wasn't brought on for a final few minutes last night. Oh, yeah. In a meaningless game. Well, I mean, he spoke to, to Paul Scholes, didn't he, recently? That's probably the problem. Yeah. You know, so Jesse didn't mention that, did he? Jesse's brother. Mm. 
a slight issue. There wasn't much to be said about the game. It was fairly humdrum. There really isn't. Brentford were terrible. It's a season that never ends, the Manchester United season. I know. Saturday, on the other hand, Newcastle, Liverpool and Leeds, Man City. As Liverpool have a great chance, goal. Unless it's offside, it's a goal. No, no, he's pointing for it, so... Lewis Diaz, who came on at half-time, has headed the ball into the net. He's still celebrating. That's got to be given. Well, I mean, you presume it's going to be given. Uh, There doesn't seem to be... The Villarreal reaction was less irate, although with the offsides, I mean, it's you can't really protest for them. See what they're saying? Vars ruined football. It's bloody ruined calling football on radio. It really has made life a lot more complicated. <laughs> it would have been. You have to. It's definitely a different intonation in the, in the voice you need yeah. to manage. You know, you can't. You, it's been given. So that's four-two Liverpool and Aggregate. They're home and host. They've plucked this out of the fire. I mean, they're the better team. They just started really badly. It's a left-footed Trent Alexander-Arnold cross. It's a great cross. Yeah, man, he's good. Yeah, Diaz is definitely onside. So. Mm. Um, that's that. That's that. That was that on Saturday as well. Newcastle with 10 wins in 14. It really looked tricky, as did Leeds at Ellen Road. We can chat to Adam Pope about that. Uh, Milner played, Gomez played, Jota was in, Salah, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Thiago all rested. Uh, the game really uh, remembered in many respects for Jake Humphrey. Jake Humphrey? Yeah. This was like the real burning issue on football Twitter across a lot of Saturday. So a clip went up of Jay Humphrey on BT Sport presenting the game. And he basically, in this clip, was talking to the pundits next to him. And he was obviously thrown to an ad break or signing off from something. And so he was speaking to them, but also just to camera, you know. And he was saying, as ever with this club, that's Newcastle. There are people standing on the sidelines ready to snipe and have a bit of a pop. At the moment, the way they're running the club, it's proving difficult for them, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. So then uh, Sashin Nakrani, who's a journalist with The Guardian, yeah. quote tweeted this clip and said, that's Amnesty International told, <laughs> which <sighs> generated this huge response. Max Rushton, for instance, said that uh, Jake Humphrey should really explain who he's referring to. So then Humphrey realises this is getting tricky for him and becoming a That's big That's really thing. bad if he's waiting into this situation. Oh, he did, yeah, in a big yeah. way. So he said, I appreciate how this clip looks. Let me be absolutely clear, though. Eddie Howe had left us moments before this. We were talking about him and my praise, my use of they was aimed squarely and only at him and his staff. So this was... But what criticism has Eddie Howe received? Other than, like, you know, the whole handling, the whole sports washing situation in a slightly uncomfortable mm. way I don't think football wise he's been getting any grief has he? No not footballing wise So are you suggesting that Jake's apology may not be d- 100% on the money in terms of well, its I don't know what struck me as much as anything was that when he says people standing on the sidelines ready to take a snipe and have a bit of a pop the people on the sidelines who've been most vociferous are Amnesty International yes the widow of Khashoggi but I think sometimes when you say people on the sideline you're almost like typical begrudgers yeah I think this is the problem sometimes that and I, I mean I'm wary of sort of like tarring a lot of people with the same brush but um, you do see around uh, I mean even some of the boxing coverage in recent times and, and the critical questions that have been asked around certain characters and people that uh, sometimes like broadcasters are so in the zone of being um, uh, 
they're, they're just, it's just a small bit too much inside the tent at times if you know what I mean mm. just in terms of and it's like uh, sometimes it's it, and maybe sometimes it's to make guests or people feel more comfortable it's like yeah we're, we're not quite like them sometimes they even distance themselves from being in the media it's like they're getting a lot of grief in the, pre- in the press and it's like well no you're actually a TV station like you know you're, you are in the media too yeah. just because you have a lot of pundits with you and there is almost this tone of going down that road um, and, and maybe it's just a default setting that, that, that he went down that road without even thinking of the implications of it in this case that it's not the the, 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 the critics as you mentioned aren't just like I don't know the sort of uh, the stereotypical uh, journalists in TV dramas who are generally lads who are great, you know, creeping around bins and stuff like that. It's actually like very uh, from the top of uh, human rights organisations criticising. So mm. they, they can't be lumped in the same view as like the forums or something. Yeah, that was know? a bit disparaging of people ready to have a pop for yeah. no good reason it's, it's, I, honestly to me it's more like trying to ingratiate yourself to people well, rather than necessarily thinking about what this means that's what I thought as well see I think now it's interesting in broadcasting media generally in that the fans now have such a voice instantly yeah. through social media and I think in, in his position you can be hyper aware that a significant percentage of the audience are Newcastle fans. And so the, I think there is a pandering to that audience as opposed to saying what's true, which is their ownership model is a stain in the game. So I think there's a degree yeah. of, well, a lot of our audience here are very pro-Newcastle and I don't want to just yeah. alienate them across these three hours. So, And that's an, that's an yeah, understandable maybe, yeah. You see some of the, You see the way it's going and, and, and Newcastle are definitely, um, it is going this way that even within, and, and again, not to get, bogged down into press stuff we're not doing the paper round here um, like there, there is an element of uh, some of the Newcastle press are almost getting into the mode of well the press down in London they're the ones that yeah. you know they, there was, wasn't there some rumpus over Eddie Howe getting asked questions at a game against Chelsea yeah. and you see some quite bizarre stuff it must be said from me- members of the North East media who are sort of on it in the same way of like you know a, a national team uh, and maybe at times, you know, we've all got caught in that road at, in various ways. Like you get temporarily blinded by, you know, patriotism or something. And with Newcastle, I think to a degree, there's an element of they've it's been a miserable beat for so long. Yeah. And they have the chance for a bit of success that they don't want it. They don't want this moment to be ruined by people bringing up things, I'd even if those things are very a, important things. Uh, yeah, I'd have a certain sympathy if you're on the daily beat in Newcastle. Like, you can't day in, day out, day in, day out, only say, I can barely cover this because of the overall situation. You can't have like a ticker running across your work at all times or a disclaimer at the top of every piece going, I just want to acknowledge I've written about the ownership model before and now I just want to give you the injury news for the weekend. No, but you, you de- totally agree. But you definitely can't go down the road of um, seeming to almost try and call out people who've been asking questions oh, about right. this. Okay, Do you oh, know, yeah, fair enough. I'm, a bit I'm, of not, I'm not too sure there's what like you're talking about. A small bit of that going on. Yeah, oh, just a there? small okay. bit of that okay. going on. I know you're not like, and I said no one really cares. But I think there's been small elements of that which are like which wouldn't be ideal either like Newcastle people affiliated to Newcastle are probably just going to have to accept that this is this isn't going away as a yeah. subject matter as as Liverpool it's it's over when it was over at 2-1 maybe definitely over at 2-all 
wasn't sure they were going to win in the night. They are now 3-2 up in the night yeah. with 15 minutes to go. 5-2 in aggregate. Looks like Mane. I mean, Villarreal must have been pushing here. We were kind of engrossed in the chat, so I didn't see it. But when I glanced up, Mane was all alone in the Villarreal half and he had gone around the keeper and was just passing the ball into an empty net. It's, I mean, it's one of those ones where... Uh, you watch a game and you're naturally drawn to the underdog and I'll I mean, to be honest I would have found it hilarious that Liverpool had lost tonight but then you would have sort of woken up <laughs> I, w- I would have honestly honestly all the Liverpool football club merchants would have been gutted um, but in saying that you would have you would have enjoyed maybe sort of 10-15 minutes of laughter at like this collapse because like because Liverpool were you know so confident of going through and you know how the English football establishment would have responded to it and then you would have realised oh no no Actually, I'd really want to see Man City and Liverpool in the Champions League final. But this is this is the slight, you know, this is the slight dilemma for a lot of people. I wouldn't be generally in favour of an all English or an all Spanish or an all Italian Champions League final. It's sort of the one I want. I'm not even sure if I want Madrid to play Liverpool. Of course you don't. You know, like, of course it's Man City Liverpool. That's going to be an amazing game, yeah. and you have to park. But it's sometimes in the World Cup, you like you cheer on the underdogs, thinking this would be a great story. Then it gets to the knockouts, and it's like, oh no, actually somebody's matchups aren't all that inspiring. Yeah. You know, it's like Senegal went in the great run in 2002, but then you get to the latter stage, it's like, oh no, I would have preferred if France were here now. So and that's you always won't part be of the uh, cheering on plucky Real Madrid tomorrow then, no? Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> at this stage, you know, it's just, if Villarreal played terrific football, it'd be a different debate, you know what I mean? Fair it, but you'd know what type of final you're going to get if they were in it. We've got to take a break. I do want to talk to you about the Stephen Bradley situation and we're going to chat some leads as well. Adam Pope is going to join us. And of course, well, it's uh, probably less urgent now, but we'll be keeping you updated on uh, Liverpool. 5-2 up on aggregate in Villarreal. Bravery is there in the way they play. And what about Peter O'Mahony? I just oh, thought a sensational performance. Yeah. Jack O'Donoghue and Hodnett. The three of them in the back row. The Red 78 with Alan Quillen and Neil Briggs. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. Now you're welcome back. So Liverpool back in control of the tie. Jordan Henderson just onto the pitch to see things through. But they're 5-2 up in aggregate, 3-2 on the night, 78 minutes on the clock. So into the Champions League final. Another extraordinary achievement in this extraordinary season, really. You don't even give them credit anymore for reaching the Champions League final. It's like, well, they should be here, but, you know, if you were, If you were, people were out tonight and just looked at the score, they'd be like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Dan McDonald of the Irish Independent is here, as is Adam Pope of BBC Leeds. Hey, Adam. Evening, guys. So, very interesting times around uh, Leeds Way. Uh, here's a quote from Jesse Marsh, Dan. So, uh, get this. I mean, I know Bielsa was loved, but Jesse's doing his damn best here, Adam. He said, uh, I've never seen supporters like this. On the streets, I wasn't being facetious when I said this game was the best team in the world against the best club in the world. So, uh, he's all out, charm offensive. How is uh, the Jesse Marsh very US style very open very articulate you know prone to uh, lines like that how's that going down with the Leeds faithful gruff old Yorkshire types would be saying no 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 surely yeah it's mixed to be quite honest and that was something on that quote you know he mentioned it pre the game and he basically said well you decide you know, best team in the world against best club in the world. You decide which is which. And then afterwards, clearly Manchester City has showed without playing at the best or anywhere near the best why they are, you know, one of the best, if not the best club side in the world. Um, but yeah, some of the quotes aren't going down well and some of the antics aren't going down well. And if you noticed at the end of the game, which was extraordinary, Joan Dan, for the way that the lead support just garnered itself and went through the roof again, even at three down and four down, it just... It just creates its own momentum, does the league. It really is quite unique in that sense. But at the end of the game, and I couldn't quite believe my own eyes as well, that he was sort of celebrating as if 
you know, it was a win. And he basically came in and said, look, it felt like a win, even though it's crazy to say, he said. But so I sort of knew what he was getting at in terms of the way that the, the crowd behaves and, and what have you. But um, yeah, some of the things he said have really rubbed people up the wrong way. And uh, uh, maybe that's just going to, you have to accept that's him. But yeah, I know what you're saying. There are Leeds fans and Yorkshire folk that don't sort of um, take too well to it and would rather little was said at this point because Leeds are in a relegation battle. However, that's his way, you know, and if that's his way of creating positivity and motivation, then, and it works, then, you know, you, you, you can't really knock it. But at the moment, it's definitely splitting people. Right. Because I was only really joking and just indulging in Yorkshire stereotypes there. I didn't <laughs> realise at all. I thought you were going to say, no, we love him. When you say his antics, so beyond that quote, you know, best team in the world against the best club and what you've described on uh, Saturday, mm-hmm. What else has Marsh done, which is maybe a, a, a touch different to, I suppose, uh, the more traditional managers we see in English football? Yeah, look, there was the, the first thing that, that that sort of made people think, oh, wow, what's that when he did the huddle after the Leicester game, you know, the, uh, the defeat at Leicester? Well, they actually didn't play too badly that day, you know, so, um, and people going, hang on, they've lost, why are you doing that? Now, like, for me, and I had this, I had a long conversation with, with Jesse Marsh about, um, you know, some of the things that might be perceived as being a bit different, what have you. And he gets it and he knows that there's going to be the, you know, the sort of the isms that that, that don't sort of match what we say here, if you like, or, or in the UK or across Europe, but they're still they're very much rooted in, in his American culture. However, I do feel for him in many ways that that becomes almost a xenophobic thing to beat him with or yeah. any foreign manager, if you like. And, and I, I really do feel for him on this front. It's almost like you don't have a chance before you start sometimes. And uh, it happened a bit with Bielsa. I think there was an extent with Thomas Christensen, um, you know, Darko Milanic when, when he when he came in for a very short time. So I do think it, it, there's, I'm not saying a fine line, but there's a line that yeah. gets crossed and too quickly. It's, I, yeah. I agree with you. And it's, it's very real. And I think I sort of have it myself. And I, I, like, rightly or wrongly, maybe our generation, I don't know if you think well, this, time, I, but I, I just think of the soccer AM skit of the soccer manager talking about soccer ball and all the isms that are in that. And like that sort of is in the when you start When you started that, to read the Jesse Marsh quote to Alan there, I was like, oh, Joe, no, you're just going down, you're you're going down this road. Oh, you thought I made it up? Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> no I mean, I just thought even the tone in which his quote was discussed, okay. it's like, oh, here they go with the over-exuberant Americans again. But he is an over-exuberant American. I know, but like, as I said, we've been talking in here, some of the Lampard quotes after Everton games recently, you yeah. know, if said through the with an American accent, people would be like, hmm, not sure about Well, sorry, Lampard's had a lot of criticism too. And I was merely going, here's the quote, how has it gone down with the Leeds faithful? If if Adam, you had said, they love it. They love the positivity and they love yeah. the, you know, the style, then I would have said no problems with it. But I do think there is that... Um, very, very unfair kind of crossed arms, what do the Americans know about football hangover? Oh, I think you're right. And let's remember, this is a man who said himself, look, I'm used to battling at the top of the the table, not the bottom of the table. And people will then go, well, hang on, this was Austria, this didn't go too well for you in Germany in his last spell, but his first spell was fine. Um, and But he's been at the top of stuff at MLS. He took on a very difficult thing in, in Canada when he first went there with a new with a new club with, with impact and new owners. So this is a guy who's well-versed in European football and, and, and football as a whole and has played with some top players in his time as well. So I don't think it's fair to do that. He has a track record 
record, definitely. Mm. What we don't know is, is can it transfer quickly into the Premier League? And you know, after five games without defeat, you know, 11 points and 15, you're thinking, oh, it might not look great at the moment. It might not be how he wants it exactly, but he was getting results. But obviously at the weekend, an expected defeat to Manchester City with two big games to come. It's still to it's still still to be decided whether this style of football is A, going to keep them in the division and B, will it be the style that'll be the root of something that can move Leeds forward in next season? Yeah, and I'm just kind of curious because I think there was and, and you're living this day in, day out so we're mm-hmm. sort of looking at it externally. Look, but I think I certainly got into the mode of thinking oh, it's, it's Burnley and Everton and it's going that road and of course Burnley have had the upturn in results and Everton have picked up a couple. Like, was there any sense of complacency at any stage at Leeds or were people always looking at that fixture list and a little bit apprehensive about where this might go because you look at it I mean it is Arsenal up next then Chelsea mm. and all of a sudden you're into the last two games okay Brighton and Brentford but there's every chance you could be chasing playing catch up going into those last two games has there always been that sense of apprehension there or had, had it slipped into uh, we might be okay because of what's happening below here yeah, I, I, look, the apprehension is always there for Leeds fans. That sort of comes with the territory. And and there are sort of some long-in-the-tooth fans that I speak to regularly and they've felt that it's going to go to the wire, whatever. I would say this, though, I think for many of us, and I put myself in there too, that the win at Watford, you sort of, I sort of felt, wow, that might be it. I have actually, I've actually said until very recently, I thought 33 points might be enough to stay up. Mm-hmm. No way now, because Burnley have, have skewed everything. So um, I've been completely wrong in my predictions in that sense. But apprehension is always there. I definitely hasn't been any complacency. I think the thing that people... And what is starting to come out with Roos that little bit is the, is the argument, why didn't players come in? And of course, the board can say that Bielsa was stubborn in 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 his in his demands, if you like, and not wanted particularly to just expand the squad for, for expanding's sake, etc. There's the injury stuff and what have you. So people have always had an apprehension, if you like, um, and that includes whether the new manager can or the new head coach can can take this club forward or just at least keep it in the division. So no, complacency isn't a thing, uh, definitely. But um, I'll tell you what, knives are starting to come out now. Because there is a real fear that, as you say, within you know week week to week tomorrow night after they play Chelsea, you know how will it look when you know Everton have played twice, including Watford away that night, and uh, um, yeah, it could look very different. Personally, I still think Burnley might run out of a bit of steam, um, but it's the balance has shifted, and people are very very apprehensive, definitely right now as, as Leeds fans. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, it certainly has. Pre the Man City defeat, nil all draw away to Palace, nothing disastrous in that. The win against Watford, 3-0, was a great result. Before that, a draw with Southampton, it's not disastrous. 3-2 win against Wolves, 2-1 win against Norwich. So that's all very, very reasonable. Towards the end of Bielsa's uh, tenure, Adam, uh, certainly they were far too open. The uh, man-for-man style was being manipulated uh, too routinely. What has Marsh done differently? Well, firstly, they are more robust defensively than they have been. I mean, those, and, and I think there's no coincidence that when Liam Cooper came back uh, prior to this game, which he got injured in the warm up, you know, they'd conceded one goal in, in three games, two of which had been um, uh, clean sheets. So um, that zonal, sort of more zonal approach to defending is definitely something you can see. I, I do argue that they play narrower and they're more compact. Um, he sort of disagrees in that when he's been, when that's been put to him in terms of, you know, sort of 
going forward with width. I think they, they do have width, obviously, in Rafinha and, and, and Harrison, but they do tend to be drawn in a lot more, in, in my opinion. But compact and more robust, that's the difference. There's no, no doubt about it. Um, they have still had a goal threat, um, but obviously against Manchester City, they, they drew a blank. That, that's to be expected. But this is still in the absence of a, of a main strike, and it's still a real worry that... that one thing that has continued, we thought might change. There is there is a sense of round peg square holes, you know, whether Dan James starts up front, and a few players have been sort of still that position, or not using natural centre back, say in, in in the position. There's still a little bit of that going, which is a concern. But no, the two things are more robust defence and, and more more compact. And he has restored confidence. There's no doubt that they were lacking in that, you know, towards the back end of the Bielsa regime. Whether you believe he should have stayed or not. Okay, well. Squeaky bum time. Interesting times. Uh, we'll we'll talk to you, I suspect, before the end of the season, Adam. Thanks very much for dropping in. Hey, pleasure, guys. Cheers. Adam Pope there, BBC Leeds. Uh, Liverpool 3, VRL 2-5-2 on aggregate. Um, I don't, by the way, think that Jesse Marsh sounds like dude on Soccer AM. I feel like you spun it that way, though. <laughs> I could see you shooting over that. You're very predictable sometimes. Like, oh. it's like, oh, I didn't say that, did I? Did I? I just thought you, you started off the Jesse the, It was a Jesse Marsh pro in a bit of, oh, here we go again. Those yeah. Americans, you know. Those Americans? Yeah, I thought it was, one, I thought it was sort of a Jake Humphrey ish show. Oh, you know? Daniel, Daniel, Daniel. Mm. Um, we're going to take a break. I want to chat to you about the Stephen Bradley situation uh, some talk is Robbie what could Robbie Keane be in line so we'll do that in just one moment our football show coverage brought to you by Sky watch every UEFA Champions League and Europa League match live in BT Sport this season back in one sec full time Liverpool into a Champions League final so very satisfactory second half for Jurgen Klopp and for Liverpool Stephen Bradley Shamrock Rovers manager since caretaker appointment in 2016 yeah. leagues in 20 and 21 FAI Cup in 19 it's been incredibly successful there's a sense this was all set up in every facet this club to progress over the next number of years and almost out of nowhere I would say I hadn't heard talk of Bradley's departure ever I don't think it now seems Lincoln were showing interest and now the word has come through that they have made or they're making an official approach generally something you do when you're pretty confident of landing your target so it would seem all of a sudden Stephen Bradley is off Yeah, no, the official approach has happened um, <clears throat> so the balls in Stephen Bradley's court effectively I don't think working out compensation should be uh, <clears throat> a problem um, he was previously on a long list um, or on a sort of a shorter long list for the MK Don's job so he, he, he there had been soundings before um, so I have to say the timing a lot of it is a surprise but in some ways it, it doesn't surprise me that um, he's maybe come to he's come to a situation where he could leave Shamrock Rovers I mean I mean, I've been writing about this for tomorrow's paper, and I was sort of working on this story today. And there's a big, massive debate of like, you know, Twitter mentions full of like Shamrock Rovers fans and Lincoln fans. You know, people like uh, Lincoln disparaging about them, and a bit of back and forth. But they're seventeenth in, in league they finished seventeenth. They were in the playoffs last year, Lincoln. Um, 
and it's just one of those things where like the power of English football at the moment is is astonishing like the championship is something like the sixth richest league in, in Europe you know um, you have clubs in league one like Sunderland and Sheffield Wednesday are playing in a, a playoff semi-final this weekend there's 38,000 tickets sold for that game we have an image of league one in our head and because Lincoln haven't been in um they haven't been in the English second division or English second tier I think you know since 1961 they sound like a small club and then you read up on them and it's like well actually you know their average crowd is 9,000 every week their wage bill is 5 million um, and you know I think their manager would be probably likely to be paid considerably more um, multiples probably of what manager here would get paid in a very good job here um, so if you're someone like Stephen Bradley, who is he's 37, he he's been in here, had a long chat um, in the studio a couple of times. I think with Nathan there was one recently. Um, you know, went to Arsenal as a as a kid as the best player of his generation in Ireland, but just didn't happen for him for whatever reason. So he's effectively not known in England, and you get an offer at the start of pre-season so you have a full you're not going in on some sort of short hit with a club that has good respect for Ireland that knows the story here that's targeted him you might never actually get as attractive an opportunity to go into the English game. And yes, it's not at the most glamorous club at all. It's not at the biggest club. It's not a club that people are, they hear the name and they're like, oh yeah, like, you know, he has to go for that. And Rovers, yeah, are about to go into a very, what is potentially a very exciting European campaign this summer with loads of opportunity. But the situation probably is, in a way, he's done as much as he can at Shamrock Rovers aside from that, aside from that big European run and his stock may not be as high in 6 or 12 months time that's just the nature of the game so you can look at it pragmatically and say yeah this actually just could be good timing now he might decide to stay um, but I think that it's gone this far I'd be disappointed I'd be sorry I'd be surprised if he turned it down I'd actually be disappointed if he left because you don't like to see sort of that type of instability but I'd be surprised if he if he uh, turned it down Is it your understanding that they're interested in taking McPhail as well? I think yeah I think think it's they're they're looking at Bradley and I think if he wants to bring his people with him um, I think Glenn Cronin and Stephen McPhail would be now McPhail is the sporting director at Rovers the sporting director at Lincoln is a is a fella called Jez George um, who's who's going nowhere and has been very involved in this so if McPhail went I think it'd be in a different role okay yeah it wouldn't be some kind of takeover or something no it's not like that okay it would be as his support staff but it's a story that's going to play itself out over the next couple of days and then the question of who would replace him at Rovers would become very topical because that's actually still a hugely attractive job like it really is Robbie Keane's hanging around oh well see that's going to be that's the first name that'll sure. spring to mind for a lot of people I mean I can see why people would mention it though um, but I, Rovers wouldn't be expecting this you know this is mid-season you generally look for a manager when you need to like when you're in crisis or someone come in steady the ship or Jesse Marsh come in we're leaking goals or Rovers are starting to hit form at a very exciting time and have a very settled style and way of playing Yeah. so it's a big decision for them you know it's a really big if if it comes to that I don't think they've given up hope on him staying but generally with these things as you say it's it's gone a certain way down the road so I would have thought it would take a quite substantial yeah. hitch to, 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 to stop it from happening well, the move makes sense the way you've explained it to be fair it does I mean League One like you watch I mean I'm, we have a lot of players in League One at the moment you know like Georgie Kelly scored that amazing goal at the weekend for yeah. Rotherham Ogbeni plays there James McLean some proper big clubs and it's a like you know as I said people turn down going to Scotland and Holland and Denmark to play in League One Dan thanks very much thank you Joe 
Liverpool through. We'll see what happens tomorrow in Madrid. Kenny Cunningham will be in for the evening tomorrow. We'll have Wednesday night rugby amongst other things. Our football show coverage brought to you by Sky. Watch every UEFA Champions League and Europa League match live on BT Sport this season. We will uh, talk to you tomorrow. OTBAM from half past seven. Tom Dunn on the way next.